Hello. Thank you, everyone. If you can have a seat. I'm Jen Harrington. I'm one of the elders here. And Derwin reached out to me earlier this week and asked me to read this passage of scripture. And I'm quite honored to to read this particular passage. And then he asked me to introduce it, and I've been thinking all week about how to introduce this particular, this particular portion of scripture. And when I was speaking with God, the Holy Spirit really touched my heart and revealed that this is the story of the centurion's faith is really a beautiful example of what happens when the Trinity really intersects with humanity. The centurion gave voice to faith that had been authored initially by God, and that faith really drew the presence of the Holy Spirit and then intersected with his situation through the touch of Jesus, through his voice and through his sufferings. The healing is never about us or, or purely our faith. It's about the Trinity reaching out and really intersecting with our lives in just such a beautiful and profound way. So if you'll rise, I'll read Matthew 8, 5 to 17. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jen. 
Thanks. You can have a seat. Well, good morning again, Hillside. I'm so glad you're with us, uh, those in person and uh, those of you online. I don't know about you, but I'm sure most of you would prefer to be here in person. Uh, online is good, but it's not great. As an extrovert, I personally love in person. Uh, funny, I was thinking about uh, this week a little bit about personality tests. And uh, over the years, I've many times, in many occasions, done the Myers-Briggs personality profile. Anybody done that? I'm sure some of you, yeah, a large showing. Um, my profile always comes out, out the same. For those of you who know, I'm an ENFP. And those of you would probably guess that, uh, ours is one of the more dominantly or easily identifiable personality types. Um, I was encouraged to hear when I first learned about these studies that ENFPs are the most naturally positive and confident personality types there are. Yeah. yeah! Woo! Yeah, there's a few of us in the room. That's why Marty and I get along so well. Some of you would know that I uh, probably disproportionately use the word awesome a lot. I like saying the word awesome. And I, was, I thought awesome was kind of a unique part of me. Until I found out that, like, it's the ENFPs disproportionately use the word awesome. <laughs> Turns out I'm just like every other ENFP out there. Very, very sad. I wonder if you've ever wondered what Jesus' personality type was. You know, was he an extrovert? Was he an introvert? Was he a, a, more of a thinker or a feeler? Um, <laughs> one thing I suspect, I don't think that Jesus was the kind of guy who dropped awesome a lot. We don't hear it in Scripture. But there are two times that we, we are, have recorded where Jesus says he was amazed or he marveled. Both have to do with faith. Jesus, in Mark 6, returns to his hometown of Nazareth, and it says that he was amazed at their lack of faith. In fact, it goes on to say that he could do no miracles there because of it. The other time is in our text today in Matthew 8, where we're told that Jesus was amazed at the faith that he found in this one man. The story took place in Capernaum, uh, which is on the northeastern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Angel and I were able to visit there years ago. A beautiful little village, like I said, right on the sea. Uh, it was the hometown of, of Peter and James and John. And during the early years of, of Jesus' ministry, it was kind of like his base of operations and kind of his adoptive home. In our story, a person who's not expected to have faith comes to Jesus. And Matthew tells us that Jesus was amazed. He turned to those following him and said, awesome. Actually, that's just me. He said, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now, if Jesus was surprised, the people around him following him were shocked the first guy that Jesus healed in Matthew chapter 8, some of you will remember, was a leper. The definitive outcast, an outsider. Well, the second guy Jesus interacts with is a Roman, a, a soldier, a Gentile. And now if people feared lepers, they both hated and feared Roman soldiers. This centurion, centurion means something like captain or, or lieutenant, and he would 
lead a troop of about 100 men. But whatever his rank, he's a member of the despised colonial, imperial, occupying power. And in the story, Jesus amazingly commends this guy's faith. And I think there's some kind of important lessons to learn here, both about Jesus and who he is and the nature of faith and discovering a faith that pleases God and a faith that invites God to move in our lives. First, the story. Jesus is uh, walking into this town, and this centurion, the soldier, walks up to Jesus, and he says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Now, I want you to first notice that the guy doesn't go into great detail with Jesus. He doesn't beg. He doesn't even ask. He, he simply states the, the need. Lord, my servant is sick. And this seems to be one of the characteristics of, of faith that we discover in the Gospels. We saw it in the leper. We now see it in this centurion, the, the, the simple act of talking to Jesus about the need, talking to God, bringing the, the problem to him. I, I love this idea when it comes to thinking about prayer. I think some of us, some people get kind of worked up about praying. It's like there's this pressure to, to get the words right, to, to somehow frame it the right way to God, to to say the right thing in the right way. And there's a common myth that I think many people believe about prayer. And I think some of you hold this. It's that everybody else is better at it than me. Everybody else is an expert, but not me. And so we can kind of, I think, overcomplicate prayer. And it sometimes, help, I think, keeps us from praying. I like how uh, Dale Bruner, the New Testament commentator who I love, comments on this passage, and he talks about the, the simplicity of prayer. He says, faith mainly talks to the Lord. It often hardly knows what to ask him or how to ask it. Sometimes all one needs to do is state the problem. The how and the what of help are the Lord's business. Lord, my servant is sick. And to Jesus, that's enough. Another old-time preacher, G. Campbell Morgan, uh, put it this way. He says, all the prayers that storm heaven are brief. You can say almost anything to God and he will hear you. You know, sometimes the very best prayer you can pray is help. That's it. You don't have to get any more complicated than that. The centurion simply stated the need, and we learn as, as we journey with Jesus, you're going to find this, that he's not looking for your eloquence or your, or your sophisticated faith. Sometimes a simple faith is all you need. Just coming to Jesus as we are. We also learn from the centurion that we can boldly ask. I mean, we, we see this in him. The, the Roman soldier, you got to understand, he knew in that village, he knew that he was the outsider. He knew he was hated. He knew he was feared. And he was a Gentile. And by the way, a quick definition of what a Gentile was, because you'll come across this language a lot in the New Testament. A Gentile is simply this, a non-Jew. You know, you're not part of the Jewish tribe. You're an outsider. And it's an understatement to say that Jews didn't like Gentiles. They hated Gentiles. They wouldn't socialize with Gentiles or eat with them. They wouldn't have them into their homes. They wouldn't go into their homes. They, they wouldn't do business with them for many Many Jewish people, they, the word that described Gentile best to them was dog. And they looked down on them. 
And, and again, this is no ordinary Gentile. This is one who's working for a foreign power who is a pre- oppressing their people. For this Roman soldier to somehow be able to approach Jesus was bold. He would have had to break through all kinds of racial and, and social and, and cultural barriers. But he comes somehow trusting in Jesus' compassion. I wonder if, uh, if the centurion had actually heard Jesus preach. And maybe he heard Jesus talk about loving one's enemy. And I wonder, we, we get the kind of the, 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 the shortened version because the, the apostles tell us kind of their version of Jesus' sermon. I, I bet you when Jesus talked about loving enemies, he probably used Roman soldiers as the example. And on how loving God meant also loving Romans. And I wonder if the centurion was kind of a, a fly on the wall and heard Jesus speak. Whatever the reason, he comes to Jesus boldly. And he's not disappointed. In verse 7, Jesus' immediate response is, I will come and heal him. This is so good. Friends, we see this kind of throughout the stories of Jesus. It's like Jesus, some of you have already watched the Olympics. This is not really great for Winter Olympics but because it's more of a Summer Olympics illustration. But Jesus is like a runner in the blocks, poised and ready always to respond to need. He's just it seems like he's always eager to help, to, to run to a, a difficult problem. It's like that old um, song that Carol King penned and James Taylor kind of made famous. You know, you've got a friend. You know, you just call on my name and I'll, I'll come running. You've got a friend. And here Jesus is willing to come running right into the centurion's home. This is now Jesus breaking through all the barriers. Because as we said, a Jew, for a Jew to go into a Gentile's home was not cool. It it would be very looked down upon. In fact, just like him touching lepers would make him ceremonial unclean, going into the home of uh, of a centurion or of a Gentile would make Jesus unclean. But here you have kind of what I find is a little fascinating twist to the story. This is the the centurion. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. I I wonder in this moment whether the centurion is being sensitive to Jesus in some ways. Like he's actually understanding that for Jesus to come into his home would would cause great problems for Jesus. And the centurion doesn't want to bring that kind of trouble on Jesus. I, I, I wonder if that's part of the story. Maybe. We don't know, but what we do know for sure is he, he certainly doesn't feel worthy to have Jesus come under his roof. And, and some of us, that, that's an obstacle we have in prayer sometimes, is we actually don't feel like we're worthy enough to ask Jesus for things, but he still asks. I think this is a good example. But here you have this powerful guy, this, this soldier, this, this commander who is telling people what to do and where to go. He's got great power, and yet we, we see this humility in him. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Augustine makes this comment about this guy. He says, thus by owning himself unworthy for Christ to enter his house, he became worthy for Christ to enter his heart. So good. 
Again, it just shows us, friends, how much God loves humility. We, when we come just as we are, without any pretense, without you know, our resume, without pr- trying to prove ourselves, just come as we are, broken and messed up. We, God loves it when we're humble. And then, of course, we come to the centurion's faith. He says to Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. These, these first four words the centurion says are really the heart of his story. Just say the word. Jesus doesn't have to even be present with the sick man. He needs only say a word, say the word, and the need is met. The, the problem is solved. And it's these words of the centurion that, that blow Jesus' mind. This is the kind of thing that Jesus calls great faith. And for, folks, great faith is simply the confidence that all Jesus needs to do is speak, is say the word, and it's done. Now, I like this. Matthew goes on to give us the, the centurion's rationale for how he came to this conclusion that all Jesus needed to do was say the word. He says, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I, I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Uh, some of you wish you had a servant that you could do that to, don't you? you we, we live in a different day. <laughs> this guy draws from his own experience as a a soldier and commander who both knows what it's like to live under someone else's authority and also to have authority over others. Somehow this centurion recognized that Jesus carried the kind of authority that with just a word, he had power over life and death. You know, when when the centurion would speak to his soldiers, they would obey immediately. And he realizes Jesus can likewise issue a command or an order over the welfare of human beings that would be instantly obeyed whether he was in their presence or not. And the centurion came and he threw himself on the authority of Jesus and he wouldn't be, as <clears throat> he wouldn't be disappointed because uh, as Matthew tells us in verse 13, his servant was healed at that very moment, at that very hour. Jesus doesn't even make a house visit. He doesn't see this man that he, that he heals or touch him. He just speaks a word and the sick man is made whole. I love this passage, this story. And, and it's a, it reminds us of an important truth that as Daryl Johnson put it, Jesus need only speak and something happens. Just say the word. You know, we all kind of inherently know the power of words. Words are, words are pretty important, right? What we say kind of can almost manifest things in the world in some ways. Think, you know, just say the word. Uh, think of um, when you're a kid and somebody in, in my neighborhood at least would, would say something hurtful to you or give you a put down. And we had this very common response in my hood. <laughs> Sticks and stones will break your bones, but, you know, names will never hurt me. Words will never hurt me. And uh, it, did, it didn't take much of a social scientist to know that that was bunk, right? Like, words actually can really, really have a lot of power to hurt. And they did then, and they do now. And words have great power to heal as well. Words are powerful. 
one, one word or phrase can change a situation. Think of yelling fire in a, a crowded theater and see what happens. Don't, don't do that, by the way. That was not an instruction. Uh, or as a, you know, <laughs> I think of a toddler saying their first defiant no to their parents. They, they have great power, toddlers. You, you know it. Or hearing a judge say, I now declare you to be a citizen of Canada. Or a pastor saying, I now pronounce you to be husband and wife. Uh, words can change a situation. And if our words, human words as they be, have such determinative power, think of the word of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, the God made flesh. And, and through his life in the Gospels, we see the incredible power of Jesus' words, be clean, he says, and the leper is clean. You know, get up and walk, and the cripple walks. Be still, and the storm stopped. Um, be gone, and the demons flee. Lazarus, come out, and the dead man lives. And Scripture makes it clear that Jesus is also the one who, who spoke the word at the beginning. Let there be light, and there was light. As, as we talk about at Christmas, Jesus is the one, he's the creator who steps into the creation and whatever he says goes. And because of that, because of who Jesus is and because of the power of his word, we can actually, friends, we can put all of our weight on his promises that he makes to us. Isn't that good? We can, we can lean into his words to us because what he speaks will come into being. Remember what Jesus first spoke to the fisherman, Simon? He said, Simon, son of John, your name will now be Peter, which means rock. And Peter, Simon, who, who was this kind of weak-willed, impulsive, reactive personality, becomes the rock and cornerstone of the church. What Jesus said happened. Think of what Jesus said to the early church, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it happened. Folks, what Jesus speaks comes into being. What Jesus says goes. We can count on it. So where do we hear Jesus speaking? The starting place for hearing the words of Jesus is, of course, Scripture. If you want to grow a faith that is alive and active, pick up the book that is alive and active. Uh, it, it's really such a gift that we have at our fingertips, the living God who, who wants to speak to us through his written word, that through, through a collection of writings that, that are sacred, that, that somehow speak directly to our hearts. Um, John Piper uh, put it this way, talking about the, the sort of amazing thing that we have in the Bible. He says, think of it. Marvel at this. Stand in awe of this. The God who keeps watch over the nations like some people keep watch over cattle or stock markets or construction sites, this God still speaks in the 21st century. By this voice, he speaks with absolute truth and personal force. By this voice, he reveals all his surpassing beauty. By this voice, he reveals the deepest secrets of our hearts. No voice anywhere, anytime can reach as deep or lift as high or carry as far as the voice of God that we hear in the Bible. 
It's in this book that we learn of God's promises for us. You know, the promises which can bring hope and, and peace and strength to even the worst of circumstances that we face. But at the same time, for, for all kinds of reasons, uh, the book is, is something that we can kind of get casual about. Like, funny enough, like we, can, we have this, this, great, this great gift, and, and uh, sometimes we, if we're honest, it's a gift we treat so lightly. And if we're honest, it's not always electric. It, always, it doesn't always feel to us like it's living or active to us. And, 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 and to be honest, some of us get bored by it. I, I mean, I'm reading Leviticus right now. It's hard not to be bored by Leviticus. I'm sorry, I confess that, Lord. It's so bad. I mean, it's so great. It's your word. I, I love it. I just haven't found out how it applies at all to my life. There, I got that off my chest. Anyone else not like Leviticus? We're going to start a support group. Any, sorry, is there anyone who likes Leviticus? We're going we're gonna, to, okay, you two, go. Like two people, yeah, just two. Anyone not heard of Leviticus before? There's some of you then thinking, like, what is Leviticus? Um, for those of you who could use a fresh encounter with the Bible, I want to suggest three practices that might help you in terms of engaging with his word in such a way that might help it come alive for you. First this, let the Spirit of God prepare you. I... I, I, I sincerely, can't turn in the morning to Leviticus and just start reading cold in my time with God and expect that I'm going to be inspired. But it's interesting, if I take a few moments and I pause and I be still and I acknowledge God's presence, and, and, and folks, I, I just encourage that, that uh, for those of you who have kind of this, this carved out time You've got your lonely place in the morning. Maybe you have a, a, a chair that you sit in and, and you have your cup of coffee and, and you have kind of a routine. I, I'd suggest a great way to start that time is actually just to sit for a few moments. It can be a few moments. It can be 15 minutes. Just to breathe. Just to be. And just to let God meet you. Because this book is living and active and through it we meet a person. Not ideas and concepts. We meet a person. And it's so great to start with the person <laughs> and move to the book. <laughs> and so let the Spirit of God meet you. Just maybe a few moments of silence uh, and, and allow God to, to, to lead you through the reading. The Spirit can inspire his word and he can even make Leviticus breathe life to you. Secondly, read scripture out loud. Uh, sometimes uh, when I'm reading, I can be reading and not reading and yet if you're reading actually out loud, it, it, it kind of gets outside of yourself and you're hearing the spoken word of God. Even if you're the one speaking it, you're kind of speaking it over your own life. So, so if you're finding that you're, you're just, even on a morning where you're having a tough time getting into the Bible, actually I'd encourage you to, to grab one of the Psalms and read it aloud to yourself or, or the Gospels or a, a Good spot would be Isaiah. The latter chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 through 66, are great words to read aloud to yourself. It kind of, for myself, it kind of short circuits my boredom, and it's a way of the, getting the truth into me. Another practice is to read deep. Just to read deep. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, talks about the, 
the spiritual discipline of studying Scripture, moving really beyond kind of a devotional reading of Scripture, which is just kind of like the daily bread kind of deal, and, and actually digging a little deeper into the text itself. Um, there's just so many resources for this, by the way. And if you want help on, and guidance in this, talk to one of our pastors. Talk to Kevin. He's got the biggest library in the church for a young guy. Uh, you can come to me. We can direct you to some books that would help you study Scripture. You could try reading a study Bible or, or get a hold of a commentary like Dale Bruner or, or Gordon Fee and, and, and read those. Or, or maybe try a new translation. Um, I'm really enjoying right now the Net translation, which has um, little notes. If you, if you read it online on your phone and version or Bible Gateway has it, you, it has little notes that you can kind of click on that shows you the Greek word and, and, and gives you kind of maybe why, why they struggle with translating that word. And it's really helpful to learn and get behind what it's like to take an ancient language and, and bring it into English and, and help us to understand that process. It's really, really good. Um, interesting, years ago, a Canadian psychiatrist, Christian, named John White, wrote a, a good number of books that I love. He argued that one of the ways he overcame depression was through studying the Bible. He, he just, by, through engaging in solid, kind of inductive Bible study reading. He writes this. He says, years ago I was seriously depressed, and the thing that saved my own sanity was a dry dust grappling with Hosea's prophecy in the Old Testament. I spent weeks, morning by morning, making meticulous notes, checking historical allusions in the text. Slowly I began to sense the ground under my feet, slowly growing steadily firmer. I knew without any doubt that healing in me was constantly springing from my struggle to grasp the meaning of Hosea. And, and friends, this is because the Word of God has power to accomplish what it says. What God says goes. What Jesus says matters. You know, we, we hear the word in Scripture. I want to also just say briefly this morning that we hear Jesus speak throughout our lives. Jesus wants to speak to us as we live our days. Uh, he said in John 10, he says, My sheep, my, my followers, hear my voice. And as we, as we get to know Jesus, largely at first through his word, we begin to get to know Jesus through our lives by his spirit, through our, in our lives by his spirit. And God can begin to speak to ways, us in ways that we can understand. Sometimes it's a whisper or a hunch or, or even a desire that he gives you for something. Often God will put a word or a phrase in my mind. Just a, two or three weeks ago, I was feeling pretty burdened about something. And actually, we were talking about something else in our life group one night. And God said something to me during that time. Like, I'm, I was just distracted in my own thoughts about, about this problem. And our life group was talking about stuff. And God gave me a little phrase that has carried me through and inspired my faith in the last three weeks. Just been so good how God spoke to me. And, and folks, this is why we do these encounter weekends. We're going to hear some great content in February at this meeting. Aaron White's a great communicator, and I love I love the talks he's going to bring, made to pray, made to do good. But we're also going to take time to listen. And, and uh, next Sunday between our services uh, at 1015 uh, and the Sunday after, we're going to have a prayer time in our, our West Hall. 
just you're welcome to come, and we're going to just take time to listen. And we're hoping, hoping to cultivate as a congregation the kind of ears so that we might hear Jesus speak. And why does it matter that we hear Jesus speak? Because what Jesus says goes. And so we want to listen to him. We want to learn how to listen to him. And folks, Jesus loves it when we have faith in him. He praised the centurion's faith. By the way, this is the, first, this, this is the New Testament's first explicit mention of faith. Again, a uh, simple definition of faith is having confidence in Jesus. Simple as that. It's having confidence in the person of Jesus. It's trusting Jesus. Faith doesn't demand. Faith is humble, yet it's bold. Faith is not certain what Jesus will do, but faith is certain that Jesus can take care of the problem. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we're told it pleases God. He's so happy when we have faith. He's so pleased when we believe in him. God's our, God's our father, and, and he wants us to treat him like a father. And so when we actually put our trust in him, it's not so he can just feel good about himself. He just knows, hey, we're in a relationship. And faith is all about our relationship with a heavenly father that loves us. He doesn't want us treating him like an it's, but as a friend and as a father. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, it pleases God. And I, I think our faith is like an invitation to God to move in our world and move in our lives. When we, we put our confidence in Jesus, he's like, I'm there, I'm ready, I'm come running. But somehow it's helpful, somehow, we don't get it, for us to actually, we have to come. We actually have to go to him. Now, I just want to say, if we think it's all faith, all we need to do is read on in the next story and see Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law. Remember that story kind of tacked on there? I love it. It's just a little, couple of verses, a little anecdote. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She's in Capernaum, and she's in the house, and, and we don't know whether she had faith at all. I mean, she, think about it. She's the one responsible for Peter. Like, is that a good thing? We don't know. All we know is that Jesus came to her, was in the house, saw the need, and Jesus reached out to her and healed her. And she got up and says she got up and served him. And by the way, the, the commentators tell us that these are really three outcast stories. The first stories in, in Matthew 8, you had, had him healing a leper, had him interacting with a Roman centurion, and now it's a woman who were outsiders in that day. They were second-class citizens. But it wasn't a faith story. That's What that was was a grace story. That's God doing good to you even when you don't ask. I wonder how much good you've received in your life that you've had no idea has come directly from God's kindness and generosity towards you. I suspect it's most of it. Before we even ask he answers, we're told. So if having faith makes it feel like it's kind of all on us, friends, remember it's always about Jesus' amazing grace. Amen? Finally, uh, what's cool about the centurion's servant getting healed is that this was the first long-distance 
healing in the Gospels. And the servant is not healed by faith. The servant is healed by another person's faith. Isn't that cool? And this reminds us, I think, of the power of prayer, the intercessory prayer specifically, that we can pray for others who maybe live far away. I can pray for my mom who lives in Ontario, and I can believe that God answers my prayer. And, and, and recently we sent Angel's mom back to Ontario, and we're kind of concerned about her living situation, and we, we were able to go, God, we give her to you. We know you can care for her. And we can believe that our prayers for her matters. And so we can pray for others. We can pray for the sick. We can pray for members of our church family who we're not seeing. And we know that God will answer our prayers. Because Jesus doesn't need to even be in the room. And he responds to our faith for other people. Isn't that great? Just say the word. And Jesus can and will respond. I invite the worship team to come on up and I want to encourage you to, to spend some time. We're going to take some time to pray, but I wonder about you this morning. What is it today that you need Jesus to speak to you about? What problem, what, what difficulty? Do you feel like saying to Jesus, just say the word, Jesus, and it'll be done? Just say the word, Jesus, and, and this problem will be dealt with. I wonder what that problem is for you this morning. What what trouble are you in? What need are you facing right now that, that you need to, to bring to Jesus? Again, this isn't meant to be complicated. I, I was tempted to call this sermon simple faith because I think what we're encouraged here is just to simply have faith in Jesus. So why don't we just why don't you bow your heads with me, if you will, and, and close your eyes. And whatever you're going through, why don't you just bring that before Jesus right now, simply and quietly, allowing him to speak to you and to speak over your life. Friends, whatever you're going through right now, today, this week, this month, trust and believe that God sees you. He knows what you're going through. And he longs to help you. Open your heart to him and with centurion-like faith, allow God inside. Put your confidence in Jesus, knowing that with a word, Jesus can do far more than you can ask or imagine. And he can meet your need. God, we thank you this morning. Would you lead us, we pray, to have greater faith. Would you, uh, 
cause us to have faith like this man we read about. Faith that would please you, Jesus. Faith, faith that you'd call great. And uh, Lord, we, we want to be able to come simply and openly and freely before you. Help us to lean into you and to weigh, to put our weight on your promises. And I pray you'd continue to speak over our lives, lives and lead us as a church, we pray. We ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.